Well, welcome to our broadcast today to the wonderful Words of Life radio program. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 today. And of course, you know that chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians is called the love chapter. So we're going to be talking about love. And it's interesting how that we've just left chapter 12 talking about the gifts of the Spirit not just the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit, but also we talked about the ministry gifts of the Spirit. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. And when we get over into chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, we're going to be talking about the use of the vocal gifts in public assembly. That would be diversities of tongues, interpretation of tongues, and the gift of prophecy. And isn't it interesting how that in sandwiched in between these two chapters is a chapter that Paul talks about concerning the love of God. Now, we oftentimes we try to look at these chapters in an independent way, and I guess that's something that we've always done. But and going through 1 Corinthians now from chapter to chapter and chapters 12, 13 and 14, Really, uh, these three chapters form a steady stream uh, speaking of the gifts of the Spirit and how that uh, the, the, uh, the gifts of the Spirit operate uh, through love. And Paul talks about the gifts of the Spirit in this chapter, chapter 13. So it's uh, going to be a very interesting study today, and I hope you'll enjoy it as much as I have enjoyed studying. Now, the Apostle Paul, he's taken the church through the first 11 chapters, and he's been correcting the church. In some instances, he has been rebuking the church. And he ends uh, these chapters in chapter 11, um, talking about and teaching to them about the proper way to take communion. And it's almost like the Apostle Paul now is clearing the way to begin to talk to the church concerning spirituals. That's in verse uh, 1 of chapter 12, now concerning spirituals. Actually, the translation says now concerning spiritual things. But the word spiritual is the Greek word pneumatikos, and that word means uh, things that are of and pertaining to the Holy Spirit. So, Now, in chapters 12, 13, and 14, we're talking about spiritual things. Uh, We've removed the the trash and the inequities and the things that were uh, wrong concerning the church. All of that has now been taken care of. Uh, We've partaken of communion now. And so we've gone from the carnalities in the first 11 chapters. We begin now with the spiritualities and Of course, walking in the love of God, that is certainly something that only uh, those who are born again can really be able to walk in. And it's interesting how that there is always the cleansing effect of the love of God when uh, we come to know him and when we come to lean upon him. There's many in the church world that they know God, either that or they are known of God or they know of God, but they're really not depending and leaning upon uh, the Lord. Uh, But we need to. We need to lean upon Him. We need to lean upon His love. 
And so if we're ever going to get to the place to where we begin to understand the things pertaining to the Holy Spirit, then we're going to have to learn to lean upon God and to lean upon him is to lean upon his love. After all, Paul said this in Romans chapter five and verse five. Uh, he said that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given to us. Now, that's given to every born again child of God. We have the love of God on the inside of us. You know, we don't need to go around saying what the church needs is they need love. The church needs love. The church needs a baptism in love. No, no, we have the love of God. We just need to yield to the love of God. And so uh, this is going to be a wonderful chapter. But before we pray and before we begin, let's hear from the psalmist that says this. Actually, this was Solomon. He says, give to the Lord, O families of the peoples, give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. And then the psalmist in the 36th division says this, For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. So uh, let's do that now. Let's approach the God of light and let's ask him to enlighten our hearts with and through the light that comes from the word of God. Uh, Father, we're looking to you right now in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we ask you right now in Jesus' name, Lord, in your light, Help us to see light and we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory of God for it. In Jesus name. Amen and amen. Well, praise the Lord. All right. Let's go ahead and begin to look at first Corinthians chapter 13 and we'll begin in verse one. Notice Paul writes and he says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Notice he distinguishes tongues to be tongues of men and of angels. Now, the tongues of man would be our human vernacular. You, you, may, um, you may not understand Hindu. I certainly don't. You may not understand a lot of the European languages of um, Portuguese or French or anything like that. But uh, there are humans that do understand those languages. So uh, just because there's a foreign language, uh, does not mean that that's something that's supernatural. That's something that's just been developed over the millennia. But now there are, and Paul brings this out, there are tongues of angels. That is a heavenly language. That is a language that is unknown uh, to the human race. And a lot of times the tongues that we speak, unknown tongues that we speak, are those types of tongues, tongues of angels. And of course, you see uh, that in the book of uh, the book of Revelation, uh, the Apostle John, he uh, he hears sounds, he hears words, but he doesn't understand them because they are the tongues of angels. Praise God. But notice that Paul says, though I speak with tongues of men and of angels and have not charity. Charity, of course, is the old English word that uh, means love. Well, what kind of love is charity in this case? It is agape love. And what is agape love? Well, agape love is the God kind of love. It's a selfish love. It's the love that uh, that God is, you know, um, uh, the Apostle John said, God is love. Amen. And that 
this love that has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which has been given to us the moment that we are born again. Amen. And of course, I call this love, I call the love of God, I call it a gift of love, and it is a gift of love. You know, even though the Bible doesn't call uh, the the love of God a gift, it is. It is a gift. Uh, Faith is a gift. Uh, Grace is a gift. Righteousness is a gift. It's uh, these qualities of characteristics of the Almighty God are things that have been given to us. The love of God has been shed abroad. Well, actually, that's really talking about the love of God being given to us. So the love of God is a gift. It's not something that you manufacture. It's not something that I manufacture. Now, human love, phileo love or familiar love, that's something that that uh, even though it's instilled in us in the very earliest uh, ages of our life, it's still not the highest kind of love. God's love is the highest kind of love because it never changes. And one of the greatest revelations that you and I could ever receive in our life is that God made a choice to love us. And the love of God is not dependent upon what you do or what you don't do. There's a lot of things that we should be doing that we don't do. Well, that because we don't do them, that does not lessen the love of God that he has for us. And, of course, there are very commendable things that we do. But that does not increase the love that God has for us. God made a choice before we were ever conceived in our mama's womb. God had already made a choice. He was going to love us, uh, not with a, a love that was dependent upon somebody else's reaction to it. He was going to love us with His love, the God kind of love, the agape love that never really changes. God loved us before we were ever born. He loves us now and he will love us throughout eternity. Amen. So this is the agape love. And it's also, um, you know, many have said that love is the language of the heart. Well, this is true. Uh, But this is the language of the heart that has been born again. The world doesn't know much about agape love. Uh, There are strands of it. Uh, There are hints of it. But to have a love that so pervades and dominates our heart and our nature, there's not many. Only the child of God knows about this love in that way. So when we're baptized in the Christ, amen, we are baptized actually into his love. Because God loved us. Amen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. See, that's a demonstration of agape love. For God so loved the world that he gave. Amen. Missionaries that leave their homes, they leave their families and they go to a foreign field and they work on that foreign field for years and years and years. They deny themselves uh, many things that you and I as Americans enjoy. Well, what motivated them to go to a place that they've never been before, to a people that they have no idea uh, what kind of people they are uh, that speak a language that uh, is unknown to them. Well, they have to be motivated by agape love because people ordinarily wouldn't do that. Now, we go to foreign countries to visit, but we certainly don't go there to live. And uh, I was just reading the obituary of a 
a fellow that graduated with uh, Bible school and how that uh, his entire life was encompassed around missionary activity in Africa and in Europe and uh, passed away not too long ago. Well, see, he was motivated by the love of God. And even though he graduated from the school that I graduated from, I never met him. I never knew his name, never knew who he was. Not until I read his obituary. But now he's known in heaven. He's known in heaven, and he did that extraordinary feat of going and preaching and ministering to people on the foreign field. He was motivated by the love of God. Amen. Now, notice again, Paul says this, Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Now, what do we mean by that? Sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Well, if you've ever been to a music practice, uh, one of your children or somebody, that, a friend, uh, a friend's child, and they're practicing on an instrument, maybe your child uh, wanted to be into the band and they had to practice maybe a trumpet or a trombone or something like that. Well, then you, you know exactly what sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal is. Amen. And so what Paul is saying, if what we do for God is not motivated by the love of God, it means absolutely nothing. Amen. That's why people who try to earn God's love are the most frustrated people on the face of the earth. Because we can't earn his love. He lavished his love upon us abundantly through Jesus Christ. We receive his love. We're filled with his love. We walk in his love. We enjoy his love. We're filled with uh, the love of God. But it's not something that we earn. God has poured that out. You know, uh, the Apostle John said that he says, What foreign kind of love the Father has bestowed upon us. What foreign kind of love the Father has bestowed upon us. Amen. Something that is so foreign, something that is strange, but yet God poured his love on the inside of us when he when we became his child, when we were born again. Amen. Hallelujah. Oh, what a tremendous love. But notice something Jesus says concerning this verse. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works? And Jesus says this, and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. See, all of these wonderful works, casting out devils, prophesying, doing many wonderful works, were not motivated by love. And so God did not even recognize them. And so that's very important for us to understand today. Verse 2 says, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries, that would be the word of wisdom and all knowledge. That would be the word of knowledge. And though I have all faith so that I, so that I could remove mountains, that's wonder-working faith. And have not love, I am nothing. So it's not the gifts of the Spirit that make us something. I know there's a lot of people they put a lot of stock into people who move in the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit. And they really like to look up to these people and they really appreciate them. Listen, let's appreciate the gifts, but let's, let's not lift up the people. At the end of the day, they're just flesh and blood, just like you and I are. And of course, we've operated in the gifts of the Spirit, but we do that for what purpose? To glorify God. And we do it 
motivated by the love of God. But Paul said here in verse two, if I have all of these gifts, revelation gifts, vocal gifts, power gifts, if I have all of them in operation, but if they're not motivated by the love of God, I notice he says, I am nothing. Verse three, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profits me nothing. Think about that. Feeding the poor, that's something the church is noted for. But if it's not, not motivated by the love of God, there's no reward in it. And sacrifice, martyrdom, giving, paying the ultimate sacrifice for a good cause. If it's not motivated by the love of God, it's worthless. It means absolutely nothing. And then Paul in verse four, he begins to describe to us now what the love of God is, what this agape love is. Notice he says, charity suffers long, is kind. It does not envy. It does not vaunt itself and it is not puffed up. Well, what does this mean? Well, it suffers long. It comes from the Greek word macrothumia. And it means to be patient. It means to be long suffering. It means to suffer forbearance toward someone never giving up on that person until they come to a right understanding of the things of God. And I know that has got to be very, very difficult. And I know by experience that is very, very difficult. But see, God doesn't give up on us, does he? So why should we give up on others, even though for some reason or another, they just can't seem or see their way through uh, to the truth? And Paul also says that love does not envy. I mean, it's not selfish. It's not self-centered. There are people in this world that all they care about is self. Amen. They want to make sure that everything they want is done. Well, what are they operating by? Well, they're not operating by the love of God. Amen. If the love of God is unselfish, that means the love of God in a person is willing to give up, to give its place. Amen and not think of itself all the time. And love vaunts not itself. In other words, love does not brag. It does not place its himself or herself above others. I'm, more, I'm smarter than you are. I'm stronger than you are. I, I'm more talented than you are. I should be far above you. No, no, that's not how the church operates. And the church in the first century during the apostolic age Many times in the churches where Paul uh, had started, where other Christians had started, it was the servants. It was the slave that was the pastor. The master was just a church member. But see, in the world, it was exactly reversed. But in the church, it was those that were slaves. Those that were servants were called pastors. Amen. And see, so we are not to brag. We are not to be a braggadocious people. We are to be a humble people. Amen. We are to be people that are willing to put others above ourselves. Amen. And then finally, verse four, uh, Paul says this love is not puffed up. It's not arrogant. How many arrogant people do you know of in the church today? It's not prideful. There's a lot of people that are full of pride. Amen. You, you I'll tell you what you slap me. I'll slap you. You spit on me. I'll spit on you. Oh, I'll get you back. You got me. You embarrassed me. So I'm going to embarrass you one day. No, see, that's not the love of God. 
The love of God is not puffed up. It does not behave itself in a prideful, arrogant or haughty manner. And then verse five says, love does not behave itself unseemly, does not seeks not her own, is not easily provoked and thinks no evil. Wow. So love does not behave in a rude or discourteous manner. Love does not seek its own. That means love doesn't coerce others or manipulate others to get what they want. Love does not have this, I'll get what I want when I want it, and it doesn't matter how many people I have to hurt or to climb over to get it, I'm going to get what I want. Well, see, that's not the love of God. Love does not seek its own. It seeks others' welfare. Amen. Praise God. You know, these apocalyptic movies really, really bother me because in each and every one of them, the human race devolves into the, you know, self-survival. It's, it's all about me and it doesn't matter what other people. And I know that history has proven that to be the truth. But listen, the love of God, the love of God that's shed abroad in our heart does not seek its own. Love is not easily provoked. In other words, love does not poke somebody or prod somebody to get them mad or to get them angry. And I know there's a lot of that going on. Provoking someone to get that person to do something. And of course, we've seen people in the public square that have done that. The Christians to try to provoke them to anger, to try to provoke them to do something. Amen. Whereby for some reason, this person proves, see, I told you he wasn't a Christian. Look, look, what, look what he's done. And see, love doesn't do that. Now, we'll probably we may be on the receiving end of that, but we are not to be that way. Love is not easily provoked. So someone who provokes and stirs up anger in others to where they begin to fight and they begin to argue vehemently. And of course, we have uh, we've been in those situations, haven't we? You know, there are those in the church that spend their time criticizing, condemning under the believers to the point to where these believers, they have to turn around and defend themselves. But let's remember Jesus when he was on trial. And remember what Isaiah said in Isaiah 53 about the Lord Jesus. As a lamb to the slaughter, he opened not his mouth. Amen. He did not respond to those things. He would not place himself into a position to where um, he would say something or do something that was not right. This is what lawyers do. If you're a witness on a witness stand and you have this lawyer who's out to prove or discredit you, he'll start peppering you with questions. He'll try to get you into a place to where you're rattled and then you begin to say something. You lose your temper. And you say something that is going to either incriminate you or incriminate someone else. Provocateurs, I call them. No, we are not to be provocateurs. Amen. We're to treat others just like we would want to be treated. So we do not provoke others to anger. Amen. We provoke. Isn't that what the Bible says? We provoke others to what? To love. We encourage one another, exhort one another. We provoke one another to love. 
And then Paul says this, love thinks no evil. In other words, love doesn't take into account some something that some wrong that they've suffered. In other words, love doesn't hold a grudge against someone. And there's a lot of that in the church world, isn't there? Somebody's holding a grudge for somebody else because they were outdone by someone. No, we need to let go of suffering wrongs. And I know it takes a little bit of doing. I know when we suffer hurt, we are hurt, we're grieved, then we get angry. And we want because our human nature wants and human pride wants to defend ourselves because what we suffered, we didn't deserve. But we've got to give all of that up. Casting all of our care upon him for he cares for us. We are not to be careful. And that, that word means we're not to have any anxiety, not to be fretful or to have any anxiety about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, we let make our requests known to God. Those requests can be, Lord, I didn't deserve this. This is not something that, uh, that I was looking for. I tried to do good and I was rewarded by evil. But Father, the love of God is shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Ghost. And so I give this up. I forgive this person. And you may have to forgive that person 70 times in a day until you get through, until God comes in and pours in the oil and the wine and heals your hurt and heals your heart. Amen. To the point to where you can freely, without reservation, love that person. Amen. Well, that's the way God looks at us. How many times have we provoked God to anger? How many times have we offended him in thought or in word or in deed? But yet God's made a choice. And that choice is he's going to love us. He's going to love us into repentance. And so if God can do that, if the love of God can do that, and the love of God has been shed abroad in our heart, then we can do that. It just takes faith it takes pressing in to the things of God and the love of God will keep us from being bound by sin, by unforgiveness and by the things of the darkness of this world that are going to really wind up binding us up and then in the end really hurting us very, very badly. All right. Verse six says, Paul says, love rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Amen. Love doesn't rejoice when others are suffering injustice or when others are going through hardships. Love is concerned about them. You know, God said himself that he doesn't rejoice in the death of the wicked. And so we shouldn't either. It should grieve us. Everybody's going to receive a award. Nobody, nobody gets away with anything. Many people suffer for what they've done in this life. Some will suffer in the life to come. Let's just make sure that we keep our heart clear concerning these things. And I know there's a lot of lot of hatred on in media today. There's a lot of hatred on, tel, on, on the television and entertainment industry. But let's just keep ourselves free from this kind of work of the flesh. Love rejoices in the truth. When right and truth prevail, love rejoices. Amen. Then verse 7 tells us love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Think about that. Agape love shields and protects others. 
comes to the aid and to the assistance of others. That's what bears all things mean. And love believes all things. It believes the best in every, of every person in every situation. Amen. We're willing to accept people as they are. Amen. Be wise as serpents and harmless as doves, the way Jesus said it. Love hopes all things. Amen. Love continually hopes for the person's restoration to wholeness. And love endures all things. That means it refuses to give up. It refuses to quit. Amen. I like the amplified version that says love, love bears up under every, anything and everything that comes, is ever ready to believe the best of every person, its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances, all circumstances, and it endures everything without weakening. Wow, isn't that tremendous? Praise God. So love suffers towards others. It's kind. It does not boil over with jealousy. It doesn't brag. It's not prideful, arrogant, not haughty, is not rude, doesn't act in an un unmannerly way. It isn't selfish. It doesn't is not self-seeking. It's not touchy or resentful. It doesn't take account of the evil done to it. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. Love doesn't love does not rejoice at injustice or unrighteousness. Love rejoices when right and truth prevail. Love bears the infirmities of others by coming to their aid and support. It believes the best of everyone and hopes for a person's restoration. Love doesn't stop loving. That's taken from the Amplified Translation. So then Paul says this in, in beginning in verse eight, he says, love, charity, love never fails, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail, whether there be tongues, they shall cease, whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. Now, this is not st stating the cessationist position on the gifts of the spirit passing away with the death of the apostles. It's talking about when we come to the eternal state all of these things will pass away. Well, we're not there yet. Well, how do I know we're not there yet? Because the church has not been perfect. It's not a perfect man. And as long as there is room for perfection, there's going to be room for these gifts. Besides, these gifts are meant to call uh, the sinners to Christ. Amen. Verse 10 says, for when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. That's self-explanatory. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Amen. We're coming to that place of perfection and maturity. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. Amen. All, what we're doing was we're seeing hazily, but there's coming a time where we're going to see clear. And then finally, verse 13. And now about a faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity or love. Faith and hope will dissipate, but love is going to abide forever. Amen. And that's the love that's been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given to us. Father, I just ask you in the name of Jesus for the love of God just to permeate, saturate every part of our being. Lord, speak to our hearts through your love. And we'll give you the praise, honor, and glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you were to die today, that you would be prepared for heaven? If you're not sure, then I encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Father God, 
I come to you through your Son, Jesus Christ. I repent and ask you to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I surrender my heart and life to you. By faith, I believe I receive you as my Lord and Savior, and I thank you for receiving me in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed this prayer and desire to know more about the gift of Christ that the Heavenly Father offers you, then email us at rbtc86 at gmail.com. We will be glad to answer your questions promptly and provide you at your request with materials that will help you to grow in your faith in the Lord Jesus. This is Patsy Dunning. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. And let me remind you to tune in to this station at the same time next week to hear more of the wonderful words of life. God bless you and remember what Jesus said. It is the Spirit who gives life.